Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. Harness Racing New South Wales has established a much-needed initiative to help harness racing participants who are struggling with personal issues through these tough times. It's called Mates for Harness, and it offers a helping hand to anybody struggling with the ravages of drug or alcohol abuse, domestic violence or mental illness. Mates for Harness is there for anybody needing a helping hand. The support group is headed up by the very experienced Morris Logue, Chaplain Colin Watts and a sports psychologist, Oliver Britt. Ambassadors are on standby all over the state. In the metro area, it's Darren Binskin. The Hunter, Peter Allen. The Northwest, Leanne Flower. The Western Districts, Amy Reese. The Riverina, Seren Adams. And the Far West, Steve and Marie Robinson. If you need to talk to somebody, Mates for Harness can help www.matesforharness.com.au or ring Morris Logue on 0400-984-193. You don't need to be alone. Talk it over with a mate. Donna Castles has been around harness horses all her life, but was a very late starter in the ranks of professional race drivers. At the time, she and partner Doc Wilson left New South Wales and moved onto their property at Ardmona near Shepparton in 2003, Donna had never driven in an actual race. As the younger daughter of highly respected Sydney trainer Jim Castles, she'd been in the sulky from a very early age and was thoroughly experienced in the training and management of standard bred horses. But the thought of driving in races had never occurred to her. It all evolved in 2011 when her partner Doc Wilson, an expert horsebreaker, was commissioned by Leviathan WA owner breeder Mick Lombardo to break in and educate 15 well-credentialed yearlings on their 37-acre property. In order to dedicate the necessary time to this large number of youngsters, Doc needed Donna's help to get their own horses to meetings around the region. It made good sense for Donna to acquire her own ticket and give consideration to driving the horses herself. Twelve years and many winners later, Donna, or Sissy, as she's known by family and friends, is a regular on Victorian trotting tracks, while Doc continues to be in keen demand as a breaker for several leading stables. Not even Donna's shock brush with breast cancer in 2016 could diminish her passion for the sport. Despite a frantically busy trotting schedule, she's currently doing her best to help promote the Pacing for Pink fundraising initiative with a big day planned at Shepparton on May the 23rd. Sissy, I'm delighted to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for your time. Nice. Thanks for having me. Money's raised from the pacing for pink meetings will be directed to the McGrath Foundation. Yep, that's correct. Um, and at the moment, we're 
we're raising quite a lot of funds, so it's really great. How will you be raising money on the day at the Shepparton Trots? At the track, we're going to have um, raffles going continuously all day, and the beauty of it all is people have has actually donated prizes. So we haven't had to go and buy presents and, and raffle prizes. People are just generously donating prizes and they still will donate up until the day, um, which will be amazing because at the moment we have about 50 prizes mm. um, and I assume we'll have a lot more on the day. Uh, we'll also be um, doing an offer auction um, and that offer auction will be a set of Lock and Var Art frame shoes. Mm. So that'll be very sought after, I would say. And Equisage Australia generously donated us a pink Equisage. So we'll also be taking offers and the highest offer on that will be the lucky winner on the day as well. Mm. To raise awareness of what you've been trying to do throughout the month of May, drivers, male and female, have been wearing pink pants in races and not ordinary pink, hot pink. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) What we did, we... We had sort of sourced out what we were going to do to try and make it different this year. With COVID putting a, a stop to it last year, we needed to have something which was going to impact. So we discussed pink pants last year and that's where we were going. So this year we kept pumping and, and we actually have, I think, about 85 pair of pants out there at the moment. Um, and every driver that wanted to get on board, they went out, they found their own sponsor, which was a $400 sponsorship, mm. and that got them the pair of pink pants, donated partially that money, went to the McGraw Foundation And, um, yeah, the whole month of May, they're out there in their pink pants supporting and thanking their sponsor as well. I've been watching a lot of uh, harness racing on Sky and uh, they really stand out, don't they? There's no mistake about it. No, there's no mistake. And um, even, like, the girls, as myself, um, Juanita Breen and Stacey uh, Towers, Mm. we wear the pink, pacing for pink girl colours. And we've got Michael Bellman in um, black with the um, pink in the boys. So uh, he stands out as well with a pink helmet. Yeah. You were actually working on the 2016 Pink Day promotion when you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Correct. What made you have the test, sis? By your own admission, you've never been one for regular checkups. No, that's right. Don't like doctors, don't like anything like that. Um, but I just had a lump under my arm and so I just thought I'd go and, you know, get it checked. And mm. my doctor was pretty blase about it as well. She just told me it was... Uh, just like a cyst, so it'll be fine, but we'll just go and get it tested. And um, tested we did, and when I went back for the result, um, yeah, it was diagnosed that I had breast cancer. Straight between the (laughs) eyes. Yep. (laughs) Now, Don, what was your very first thought at the time? I imagine it would have been for your daughter, Georgia, who at the time was in her early teens. Yeah. um, First, when the doctor told me it was like numbness, I couldn't even cry. I think the shock just hits you and then you sort of sit there going, oh, my God. Mm. Um, but, yeah, after that, you sort of – I was driving home and you're thinking, oh, my God, I'm not going to see Georgia finish school. I'm not going to see her, mm. you know, grow up, have kids, get married, enjoy, you know, being with Doc and myself. And and the other thing was I can't leave them here with all this, you know, debt and whatever we're trying to pay off. So mm. we're just going to have to try and beat this somehow. So um, yeah. hopefully we have. Well, you really devoted yourself to the treatment process, uh, which comprised chemotherapy and radiation, with all of the inevitable side effects. Looking back now, how do you think you handled it? Um, I think everyone handles it in their own different way. Um, I, I suppose I 
I had my first chemo and they didn't sort of say, they just said you might be sick, you might get an energy burst and things like this. Well, I got the energy burst and started cleaning the house and cleaning windows and, like, at one stage I threw one of Doc's favourite chairs out and I burnt it and he stood there going, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it was in my head, get rid of the old and bring in the new so that it was trying a new chapter in our life. So I got rid of the old lounge and done all that. And um, Mm. I then probably overdid it and um, I got sick and got put back into hospital for 10 days. So I was neutropenic Mm. um, and that was pretty hard um, because sort of no one could come in and see you. Uh, because your cells are so low, your red cells have virtually been eaten by your white, so you're so septic mm. to getting anything. So, mm. um, But everyone accepts it differently. Some people go shopping, some people, you know, just soldier on and it, it's hard. It, every family, I think, it affects your family before it affects you Yeah. because you're still trying to take it in and they actually hear it and mm. then, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Your involvement with the horses would have been impacted for a while and that was probably the toughest part of all. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, once I was operated on and, you know, you're going backwards and forward to Melbourne and, and Doc and Georgia would come with me and Kerry Lee, um, by the time I come home I couldn't do anything for a couple of weeks and things like that. But I'd still go up the back and um, try and do boxes when I wasn't supposed to be in the dirty area and I had Doc's sister here who's a nurse who had a rope around my throat pulling me back to the house. So it was, yeah. I would sneak out the front door and things like that. But, um, yeah, we just sort of worked through it, cut a few horses back and, um, yeah, just had to work that little bit harder once I was back in action. Mm. Let's take a little trip down memory lane. Your dad, Jimmy Castles, drove his first winner at Peak Hill in the 1950s. And he oh, was goodness. still driving in races five years ago. He was Correct. a regular in the winner's circle at Harold Park in the 1960s. And I'm sure you've heard a lot about the horses who got him up and running when he moved to Sydney. One of them, Donna, was a very fast horse called Gull Todd, who held the standing start mile record at Harold Park right up until they closed the place. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't know that one. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you've That's heard amazing. all about Gold Todd and seen a few photos. Oh, we sure have. And and back in those days, they didn't have photographers like they do today. They took photos and put them onto a cardboard um, sheet and then you actually put them into like an album yourself. And mum still has all of those today at home. Mm. Have you heard Dad talk about Kimbo? He was one of his favourites, a very consistent little fast-class horse, and the punters loved him because he gave you the same performance week in and week out. That's right. He was an honest little thing, and that's exactly what they named their place when they moved to Marsden Park then. They gave it a name and it had a little banner out the front and it was called Kimbo Lodge, so Mm. that was awesome. The tiniest horse your father ever trained and one of the smallest horses I ever saw at Harold Park was called Ariel Frost. He won a stack of races. Yeah, I don't remember him a great deal, and because we were probably little, and at the time, Sandra and I, we used to just get home from school and jump in the truck and get to the races and be typical kids and just run around all night until it was time to go home. And if mum couldn't find us, she'd just ask someone where we were and they'd point her in the right direction to come and find us. So (laughs) (laughs) we didn't do much around the stables as kids, that's for sure. (laughs) You would have been 10 or 11 when Jimmy had a remarkable horse called Local Honoured, who in one season alone, 1981-82, won 22 races and, sis, they might have been consecutive wins. 
Yeah, he was amazing. He was actually a stallion um, mm. at the time and um, we had a cattle dog. I still remember it. He used to sleep in his box with him and be with him all day long and people would sort of say, you know, he'll, he'll attack that dog and he didn't. He just loved him to death and I remember one major thing about him. Dad said we're going to Melbourne and us kids said, oh, okay, well, he didn't tell us where we were going. We actually went to Kilmore. Mm. And it was snowing, Nilly, I reckon, when we got here. (laughs) And I still go to Kilmore Trots and go straight past the same motel, which is where we stayed when we brought local on it down to um, to race at Kilmore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One of his best wins was in the New South Wales Pacers derby. Gosh, he won by a long way. Yes, he's got that photo on his uh, wall in Sydney, actually. Yeah, it's a great win. Mm. Another prolific winner for Dad was a horse called Jalopy who won 15 races in all, but he was also the horse to figure in probably the worst fall of your father's long career. It Uh happened on the turnout of the straight at Harold Park and Jimmy did a real good job on himself. Oh, he did. Um, I do remember that. We were in what we used to call the dugout right there um, in the front there on the home turn, on the bottom turn actually near the ambulance room. Um, and he got his, yeah, his legs taken and he, he hit the deck and the old running rail was there at the time. So mm-hmm. dad sort of got thrown into that. And um, Jopi actually fractured a chip bone in his knee. Um, and from that day on, they couldn't get to it and it would float. And he'd be fantastic today, but tomorrow that chip might have got in between his joint and he would look like he's got a, a stiff broken leg. So, um, yeah, eventually they um, they eventually could find it once it floated to the to the right point. But, um, yeah, he was an amazing horse for Dad and Jack Lopez was a fantastic owner. What were your personal favourites among the horses Dad was training as you were growing up? Did you have a favourite? Um, Loco, only because, which was local honoured, because he took us on little trips around um, Australia, not big ones because... Dad wouldn't stay away than 24 hours and he was already wanting to go back home. Mm. Um, but um, I, he had a little horse called Brave Jody. I can remember her and I don't know why. She was tiny and little. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we didn't – we sort of went to the trots and we'd say, who's in, and, and then say, see ya, and <laughs> we weren't mm. very interested. We'd rather go to sport or do something like that, my sister and I. Yeah. Yes, now your sister, Sandra, knew all the fundamentals of horse management but she was never tempted to become an active participant. No, she actually went out and joined the police force, so um, totally Mm. different field. Now, what about your wonderful mum, Monica, who (laughs) deserves enormous credit for her work behind the scenes over many, many years? I think mum and dad have been married for very close to 60 years. Gosh, she needs a medal, doesn't she? (laughs) (laughs) I hope he doesn't hear this, this interview. <laughs> he won't catch me. It's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Mon, I'd see her at the trots quite often. She wouldn't stop from the moment they got there till the moment they went home. Yep, that's correct. Um, Dad would just sort of virtually get in the cart. Mum would gear up, wash, hose, brush, um, do the boxes, and she was always the first one out of bed and, you know, doing stuff all the time. So um, Dad was mm-hmm. pretty lucky to have her around. Your dad has only recently wound down his training activities. He was still campaigning at Menangle as recently as 2018 with a good old horse called Jacket Turk. Now, he and your mum owned that horse and they raced him for a long time. He won nine races, 28 placings, and in one of those wins, your dad made history by becoming the oldest driver 
to win a race in New South Wales. He was 77 years old at the time. Yep, he sure was. And um, Turk, he's still at mum and dad's today. So um, he's out the back with the broodmares and then mum goes every morning and feeds them. And yeah, it's great that he's still there with them. Was there ever any pressure from you or Sandra or mum for dad to relinquish the driving duties or were none of you game enough? Uh, no, we sort of thought he was one of the best. Like he, he was raised when we were little, like through the industry with A.D. Turnbull. So he was one of the tough ones. Um, he knew how to handle himself out there. And um, I know that him and A.D. found it pretty hard when some of them young ones came through and they thought they were a bit better than them. Um, them two old boys put them back into their place pretty quick. Didn't they? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Kevin Newman, he was another one as well. So yeah. Yeah, it was a great era they grew up in. It was a big decision when you and your partner, Doc, decided to pull up stakes and head to Ardmona near Shepparton. What prompted that, Donna? What was the catalyst for such a big move? Um, we had a little five-acre property at um, Londonderry, so every day we had to load up the truck and the float and probably take six to nine into Penrith track um, and hobble. So you're sort of gone until two o'clock in the afternoon and the boys would stay home and jog them and some days we'd come home and it'd be carnage. So we thought, okay, mm. this is just not working. Mm. Um, and we had a lot of – we had four broodmares and they had foals and they had yearlings and were, you know, paying out adjustment like it was going out of fashion. So we came down and we brought a wobber down at one stage in Candy Rama and we had a look around the Golden Valley and it was quite nice. We liked it and we found a property here at Ardmona and um, then we could move all our horses, broodmares, foals and, and everything. Um, mm. So that was really good. You were 42 years old when you gained your race driver's licence. <laughs> Gee, that was a late start. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> hmm? For all the reasons we outlined earlier, Doc was so busy uh, breaking in and educating yearlings, he simply didn't have time to go to the trots. Yeah, we had um, quite a few breakers at the time and, and as you said, like Mick Lombardo um, approached Doc to do a lot of his yearlings. So... Mick likes to have them up and running and getting boogied by, you know, early two-year-olds. So Mark Lee worked for us at the time. Um, so it was pretty hard. You'd go to the trials and they might only have two two-year-olds. So you be- couldn't qualify them and get going. So they conned me to get in the gig and and I'd just go and drive the nice quiet ones and follow them around and get them qualified and do all the basic sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it just helped with that extra set of hands, you know, on, you know, trial day to get two extras or three extra worked at the trials was um, so much better than having to go again the next night to some other trial track, so. Mm. Your first drive in a race was on November the 1st, 2011. It was probably Melbourne Cup Day. It was at Cobram and um, it was a non-tab, so I went, that's a great chance no one can see me if I make make a mistake. (laughs) Mm. And you drove a trotter called Oyu, who was unplaced, but you were Tickle Pink. You won some races with him later too. Sure did. We actually, uh, Kerry Lee, she actually used to live in Sydney and um, she moved here and we went to a sale once we uh, moved here and that's how he got his name. We were at the back of the crowd yelling out and they didn't pay any attention so Kerry yells out, oi, 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 you over there. So that's how oi got his name. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And a good name in retrospect. (laughs) Correct, yeah. Now, sis, your all-time favourite beyond a shadow of a doubt is a pacer called Safala, a son of a very good horse, Safari. You've won 11 races with Safala and you've driven him, as if you don't know, in every one of those wins. 
Yep. No, he's a he's a nice little horse. Um, Greg Corbett bred him, uh, which is great. And it's quite funny. I say to Doc, you know, I love driving him and everything because many years ago when we were in Sydney and um, I used to sell real estate, Doc actually flew down here to the Hunter Cup and went to the sales with Alistair Cobbs. Mm. And he kept ringing me saying, hey, I'm going to bid on this horse. And I go, yeah, righto, whatever. So every time the bid would go up, he'd ring me and go, I'll go one more. And I went, oh, okay. And by the time we've worked it out, it actually was Safari that he was bidding on. So <laughs> yeah, I said, I don't think we're ever going to get him over the, the opposite bidders. But, um, yeah, I said that was he was the underbidder to Safari and then we've got a nice little Safari horse, so that's good. Mm, worked out well. It did. Now, just looking at a few of the nice horses you and Doc have had in the place in recent years, Flash of Freedom uh, was a yep. nice little black horse you thought the world of. Did I see a photo of you riding Flash of Freedom around the place? Uh, yeah, that was him. He was a brilliant little standing start horse. Um, mm. As a two-year-old, he had more action than you could poke a stick at. He'd nearly hit his nose when he was mm. trotting out and pacing. And everyone said, you know, he's no good. Get rid of him. He's just too slow. And he was the best standing start horse, and that was his asset. He would always be in front and as a two-year-old, I think he just kept running seconds and thirds. He couldn't win a race. Um, and he was a gentleman and he was a stallion. Um, yeah, and when I got sick, um, you sort of get a little bit lost. And I said, Doc, oh, you know, I, I don't know what I want to do or whatever. And I said, I'm going to ride Flash. Mm. Cannot ride to save myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I went and brought a saddle and hopped on him and I'd ride around the farm and I'd go down the road a little bit. But um, he was a little bit uncomfortable because he, um, mm. he'd see the mares and just roll into a pace and off we'd go pacing around the farm. <laughs> yeah. But it was good. It was just a different out that helped me get through the situation I was in at the yeah. time. So That's how good. you got your confidence back, riding rather than driving. Yep, yep, just jumping and playing with him. And I knew I was safe with him, so that was mm. really good. Yeah, Tananya. Uh, Tanaya, yes. Mm-hmm. She'd be. She's uh, my favourite girl. Um, I brought her as a weanling, uh, with much to Doc's disgust. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and she's a big girl. She's probably sixteen hands. Um, and I loved her. She she had more ability. Neil Day was here one year and he worked her and he said, I like this thing. Um, but mm. she was more of a herd horse. She wouldn't kick away or if she did, she'd wait for him and be happy to run second a fair bit. Yeah. Um, but I've just bred a little foal out of her. So um, hopefully, you know, it comes out as good as her or a little bit better. Mm. Now, what about a Liska, a nice mare? You won 12 races with a Liska and I couldn't help but notice the official owner was your daughter, Georgia. Oh, yes. We bred her, actually, which mm. was great, um, out of a mare called Miss Teak. And um, Georgia used to play with her all the time. So Aliska became Georgia's little mare. And um, late into her career, probably when she's won most of her races, she lost her eye. Mm. Um, so she raced with one eye probably for the last three or four years of her racing career. And, mm. um, yeah, she was amazing. And Tanea, actually, when she had her eye taken out, she lived with Tanea in the paddock and, she was like her second eye. If she went to look, get near the fence, she'd actually walk between it till she got used to having right. one eye and getting all the balance back up. Yeah, it was great. Goodness me, yeah. We've heard of one-eyed uh, pacing horses over the years, Donna, and it seems that they, um, that they manage and they rely heavily on the signals from their drivers. Yeah, they do adjust. Um, she would... Uh, you'd, you'd be leading her and you'd sort of have to let her know you'd have to lead her on a good side. Um, and then if you're walking and she couldn't see something, you'd have to be her second set of eyes for sure. But um, in the race, it didn't didn't worry her. 
Um, as you said, you know, you, she was a quick little thing. You'd put her into a hole and drive her like a little Dodge from car and she'd whip in and out of spots as quick as you could move her. So, no, she was a beautiful little mare. Mm. A trotting mare called Fatouche did a very good <laughs> job for you. Yes, Fatouche. Um, she's a lovely old mare. Um, we nicknamed her Custard. She was um, a gorgeous mare. Doc used to drive her a fair bit um, and he got suspended one night and he told me I had to drive her and she was quite um, – she used to pull a lot, and I said to him, okay, don't know if I can hold it, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> mm. um, and I think I ran fourth the first night I drove her, and once I'd driven her that time, I went, okay, we can do this. We can – we'll work through it, and we did, and she was a lovely mare. She was a bit – you know, she would pull in the warm-up, and Paul Campbell here, um, he'd do tips, and he'd say to me, sis, when she's pulling, we know she's on song, <laughs> mm. and when she's a bit blasé, we know that she's not. And I said, yeah, well – my arms know when she's around, that's for sure. <laughs> Donna, stand by there for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you after this. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. And my special guest from Victorian Harness Racing is Donna Castles. Another trotting mare uh, you had a lot of fun with was Antiope. You drove her not all the time, but occasionally. Yeah, she was more Doc's drive than my drive. Mm. Um, but she was a lovely old mare, very funny little mare. Um, you know, you had to be sort of timid and placid around her all the time. And um, But she'd give you everything she had. She wasn't quick um, in the race, but she was always sound away, always stepped good. Um, and you could put her in and, and she'd give you 100% every time she went around. Mm. Can't ask for any more. No, that's right. She'd just try her hardest. What about the curiously named Brother Rabbit, mm. a pacing gelding who won 13 races? You drove him in a number of those wins. I did. Um, Daryl Hill actually trained Brother Rabbit, um, so I'm not totally sure how he got his name, but he was not a tall horse, but I think the whole time I drove him, Daryl would always weigh him at Shepparton, and he always weighed in about 520 kilos. He was a little heavy, chunky little thing. Um, Love a little horse. Um, put him in anywhere and he had a really good turn of foot. So um, I love driving Rabbit. He was wonderful. We should point out that Doc has continued to drive in races when possible. It's not as though he's relinquished his race driver's licence. But at the height of the breaking in season, he's simply too busy and that's when you take over. Yeah, that's right. He's sort of home and if we're in the first race somewhere and we've got to be gone by two or three, well, Someone's got to be home to feed up and finish off and do all that sort of stuff. So, mm. um, and on Saturday nights, like when we go to Melton, we've sort of it's a three-hour trip. So, um, I just pack up and head down the highway wherever we've got to go, and Doc stays home and finishes all the work. Mm. I think I get the good job. <laughs> do you think he still enjoys having a race drive, or is he getting it out yeah, of no. his system? No, he still drives. He probably drives more outside horses than he does our horses. Mm. Um, like, he's happy. He doesn't care. As he said, it doesn't matter who's driving him when we train him because he said we're both in the same boat. So if they win with him or me, it doesn't matter. We still get the same results, so, mm-hmm. which is good. He's an exceptional horseman, isn't he? 
Yes, he is. He's very good with healings. Very, very good. Sesh, you gave Doc and Georgia and Mum and Dad watching at home in Sydney a hell of a scare last November when you hit the deck in a trotting race at Cobram. Now, you were racing three pegs on a mare called Dancers when right near the quarter pole, and this was a most unusual accident, the horse behind you got a forefoot jammed over the top of your round back uh, near the stay on your sulky, and you were propelled up and backwards out of your cart. You landed fair on your back. It was a very unusual fall, and you were very lucky. It, yeah, I was. Um, I thought I was in trouble a fair way out because I was already getting hit in the back of the head and the back, and I thought, I'm in a bit of trouble here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't go anywhere. I'm three fence. Mm. Um, and, yeah, once um, at about the 400, I felt him hit me, and I thought, oh, please get off my back. But he got his legs through my stay, and um, he kept pulling his leg backwards and forwards, and I think I bounced from the seat to the shaft about three times. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he just reefed his leg back to get it out, and as he did, he just flipped the gig straight in the air, and they all gave me about 10 for dismount and zero for landing on that, so mm. <laughs> it was a bit scary. And what was the medical report? Um, just a fair bit of bruising, um, nothing major, which was really good. I, was, I went straight to Shep Hospital and they just did some scans and head scans and neck scans and things like that, and I just took it easy for a few days and uh, we were back mm. in it again. In watching a few replays of your recent races, I notice you've taken over the colours used by your dad for close to six decades, the pink and black stripes with the royal blue sleeves. I can still see Jimmy wearing those silks at Harold Park in the golden days. He must be yeah. tickled pink to see him still going around. He is. Um, when COVID hit and we were all allocated that we had to wear a set of colours um, for the whole time so that we weren't spreading any germs. So Doc stuck with the green and I just said to Mum, can I use Dad's colours? And she goes, yeah. So she sent me a few down. I thought I was wearing a dressing gown. Um, <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said well, I'm going to have to get a little set made. So, um, yep, I got my own set made and um, mm. I've been wearing them ever since, so it's great. Mm. Well, you and Doc are on 37 acres in the Goulburn Valley. I know you've got a super work track, which is more than 800 metres. What other facilities have you got there? Um, we've got um, a walking machine, which is really great. So when the babies are in and rather than all being in a box all day while Doc's working them in and out, they're on and off the machine. So it, it gives them a good mix between the old horses and and educates them that way. We've got a swim hole, which is great. Mm. Um, we don't use it a great deal because it's a fair way down the track um, mm. to get to it. Uh, and we've got a gistment as well. So we've got some great paddocks. And when Doc breaks in yearlings, um, the owners leave them here for their for have their spelling prep and then I'll come back for their second prep and go again. Mm. Now tell me about Georgia, who's now 18. Uh, just like your sister, Sandra, she can do anything that needs to be done around the horses but shows no indication of pursuing uh, a career. No, that's correct. Um, George is fantastic with um, helping around the farm. Like when I was sick, you know, she could do anything. She can hobble them. She can jog them. She doesn't like doing boxes, which I think a lot of kids don't like doing. Yeah. Um, but with the yearlings, when they're going out in the track for the first or second time and George will sit on the shaft and go with Doc. So if they do get into trouble, she's there. 
Um, she's got no fear of them, which is really good. Um, she gets stuck into it. But um, absolutely no, not wanting to get a driver's licence, told us that if anything happened, she'd get rid of all the horses, sell the house and move to the Gold Coast or somewhere nice in the sun. Typical <laughs> mm-hmm. 18-year-old. Just for the record, Donna, I've got access to your personal training and driving statistics since you started in your own right. You've driven 124 winners with 349 placings. As a trainer, you've won 86 under your own name with 238 placings. Now, sis, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I thought they probably, what is it, a third, one in three. I'm either weighing in or whatever. So, yeah, and, like, we don't have superstar horses, um, so... Um, you know, we do what we can with what we have and um, they stand up when they have to, which is really good. So, mm. In light of figures like that, in light of the success you've had, do you regret not having started earlier? Um, no, not really. Um, I think when we were in Londonderry, um, in this game there's not a lot of money, so you do need to get started, you need to have you know, two incomes coming in all the time. And mm. so I actually was selling real estate at the time in Sydney, um, new homes, which was really good. And that helped us also get settled and, and move up here and um, and help us move. And then once we moved, we sort of had enough behind us that I could stay at home and, and help the guys with the horses. And um, that's what mm. we were doing most of the time since I've been here. You know, the ranks of female jockeys and harness drivers all around Australia has exploded in recent years and uh, there are many, many girls driving in the state of Victoria. Karen Manning continues to reign supreme. What a remarkable inspiration she's been to younger girls coming up. She is amazing. She is so down to earth. You can walk up to Karen anywhere and just talk to her. Um, She'll always talk. She, you know, even on the racetrack, she's just a gem to drive with. She knows the horse, she knows the track. She's absolutely super. Kate Gath's another one. She's fantastic. Um, they're all great. That that none of them got chips on the shoulder or think they're better than anyone else. So, and that's really nice to know. You can go out there if you've got a problem or you want to ask anything. They're happy to help you out at any time. Mm. Do you have a role model apart from Doc, of course? <laughs> but uh, you know, male or female, uh, is there one driver who, uh, to you, is inspirational? Um, I love, like, you know, you look back at the old days and, you know, I just love watching all the old guys, how they used to go around and drive and, and it was a totally different game. Um, I think today's game is a little bit different back to when my dad used to drive and I look at them and say how good drivers they were. Mm. The sprint lane now, I love the sprint lane. I think it's a great opportunity. Um, but if you're behind the leader here, well, you know, you've got a run or three fence and you can sort of weave through the traffic. But back in the olden days, I look up to them old guys and think, yeah, three fence and you've still got to get out and you've got to come wide. So, um, no, I, I love just watching the old guys. They're probably my inspiration to say, well, if they could do it with no no sprint rain, mm. um, we can achieve that as well in mm. this day and age. Well, Sissy, it's been great to catch up after such a long time. Congratulations on all you've achieved in the trotting world and on the wonderful work you're doing for the McGrath Foundation in the wake of your own battle with breast cancer. You're a great girl. Keep well, many winners. No worries. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And this podcast with Donna Castles was produced by Supernova Sound. <laughs>